Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, Vacation Bible School was scheduled to have begun last week, back before everything went upside down. The volunteers would have been all geared up to teach the kids we would have been blessed with all about Jesus. Some of them, I suspect, hearing about him for the very first time. And they would have gotten to know him a little bit through the Bible stories they heard. Stories about Jesus, the Good Shepherd. The one who would drop everything to rescue a, a one lost little lamb. Gentle Jesus. Loving Jesus. Forgiving Jesus. The junior Sunday school Jesus. Our best friend. But probably not the Jesus we've been hearing about in our gospel readings the last couple of weeks. He's still the one who continues to love you in spite of all your warts and your scars and your weaknesses. But he's also very different from anyone who's ever loved you before, with very different expectations. Great expectations, you could even say. When you read chapter 10 of Matthew, and our verses this morning are just 8 out of 42, you get a picture of Jesus you may never have been taught about in, in vacation Bible school. This is a more adult-oriented Jesus. Not many people, without actually studying uh, this section of Matthew's gospel, really understand this side of our Lord, which you might call the Jesus nobody wants to know. And frankly, it's rarely preached because uh, so many churches these days are reluctant to tell the whole story. They're afraid of scaring people away, scaring seekers away. And let's face it, if you were leading someone through the Gospels for their very first time, you probably wouldn't start with our gospel lesson this morning either. This Christmas story, maybe. The Easter story, for sure. Some miracle stories, probably. But the Jesus who's going to tear families apart? The one who explains he didn't come to bring peace on earth? I don't think so. No, this one's for the advanced class. But like any one of us, Jesus is a whole package. And we need every aspect of that package it's what makes him exactly what we need to rescue us from sin and death and the power of the devil. It's, it's a part of what makes him the sole difference, really, between heaven and hell. And sure, we love to hear about how Jesus uh, loves his enemies. That's especially because so many of us are once counted among them. How he forgives prostitutes. Because many of us have sold ourselves out to worldly pleasures and continue to do so on a regular basis. We love hearing about how Jesus touches lepers, how he feeds the hungry. But that's it. That Jesus we like, that Jesus we want to embrace. But the one revealed in Matthew chapter 10, that's the one we'd probably rather tell, you know, Jesus, regarding our relationship, let's just be friends, you know, instead of let's go steady. Because this Jesus this morning is simply too demanding. This is the side that's brutally honest with us, the one who holds nothing back, the one who says, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. What are we supposed to do with that? You know, uh, according to Isaiah chapter 9, the Messiah is described as the Prince of Peace. The interpreters of the ancient Hebrew scriptures took that to mean the Messiah would be the Prince of Peace on earth. But that's where they got it wrong. And that's one of the reasons they rejected Jesus when he came as the long-awaited Messiah. And knowing Jesus does bring a, a measure of personal peace, certainly, he instructed his disciples to leave his, their peace on the, the people who would feed and, and shelter them. But what's the ultimate goal of the gospel? Peace and harmony on earth? 
No. No, he came to bring peace and harmony between God and humanity. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified, that means made right with God. Um, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this world we live in will likely never see peace. It's always going to be plagued by wars and rumors of wars. It's like trying to put out a wildfire, right? You get one corner contained, and, and before you know it, a little, a little uh, ember drops down somewhere else and starts a whole other blaze. That's the way it is. Peace just doesn't come easily. It's always preferable, but the reality is when two sides disagree on something, conflict is inevitable. It's the way of a fallen, sinful world, a world that was thrown into disarray by Adam and Eve back when they first disobeyed God and allowed Satan and sin to get a a foothold on earth back in the day. The goal of the gospel is peace with God. The difficulty is that the gospel is such a penetrating message that it acts like a sword. It pierces our conscience, and it calls us unapologetically to love God more than we love ourselves. And everybody isn't ready to do that. Not even close. But what does Jesus have to say about it? He says, expect it. Conflict is going to happen between those who accept the gospel and and embrace his resurrection, God's good news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone, and those who reject it. Now, the compromise offered by some well-meaning folks who simply don't know any better is that all paths lead to heaven. You know, one of the, the things that made uh, ancient Rome so successful back in its heyday was the belief that evolved concerning the religions of the, uh, the many countries that they conquered. They decided, finally, that everyone was actually worshiping the same gods, uh, but in their own way and simply under their own names. Uh, I mean, how many gods could there really be, right? There were two, majors except, except, two major exceptions, the Druids in, in Europe and Britain, Um, who practiced human sacrifice, and Christianity, who claimed their God was the only uh, true God and that he was above all their so-called gods. Otherwise, people's religions were pretty much left alone and it went a long way toward keeping the peace. Rome eventually became filled with temples to the pagan gods being worshipped all over their empire. And the Christians began to be persecuted. You know, all paths lead to heaven or wherever the good place after this life is for people. Sounds like a good compromise, but it's just not true. Jesus said that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father, he said, except through me. One path, one way, uh, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Does that make you wish it weren't so? Maybe, for the sake of unbelieving friends and family. But if God's got a plan B apart from Jesus, you know, he hasn't let us in on it. There's just one truth and one way and one God who wants all people to be saved by coming to know him as he really is, not some fluffed up version. That means that if you don't have Jesus right, then you don't have God right, and you don't have the gospel right, and you don't have salvation. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Those are tough words. They're going to sound hurtful, 
and pompous and all kinds of other unpleasant things to people who, who just aren't there yet. You know, what are the two subjects that are probably uh, forbidden conversation at your dinner table? Politics and religion, right? Yeah, and for good reason. They can be like a, a time bomb. You know, most of you listening this morning can relate to what Jesus is saying because honest, from-the-heart discussions about religious beliefs inevitably cause conflict. And we've all been there. Sadly, there may be times when this conflict becomes bitter and even uh, natural relationships can end up severed. But the disciples knew, and we should know, that there's just no middle ground. Even among fellow Christians, conflict can pop up when it comes to getting Jesus' message straight. If that wasn't the case, there wouldn't be so many different denominations, and even denominations within denominations. Wikipedia lists 40 different Lutheran denominations in North America with links to their websites. We could have our own category on Jeopardy. Name the Lutheran. It's sad. It's almost embarrassing. We all start out with the same Bible. We all believe in salvation by grace alone through faith in Jesus alone. But in practice, we can't all seem to get on the same page when it comes to some important points of doctrine and polity. This whole chapter of Matthew this morning involves Jesus preparing 12 of his closest disciples to become apostles, to go out into the world on their own with the most important message ever, right from the horse's mouth, so to speak, before people can get a chance to muck it all up and make it complicated. It's apostles. That's what apostle means. Uh, one who is sent and is loyal to the sender. Think of it like kind of like an ambassador. A disciple is a student. Jesus had lots of disciples, and they went out too. But he sent out just 12 apostles, men who had been with him from the very beginning. We believers function today in much the same way. We have an important message, a vital message, literally a life-saving message. Same message they did, the very best news ever. And yet it can cause conflict in the worst ways. Jesus says, For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Is that what Jesus came to do? Break up families? I don't think so. No, of course not. He, he knew that would happen. He, he's sending his apostles out to the Jews, God's original chosen people. And some of them would come to believe the message and accept the gift of salvation that that belief brought, but most of them would not. Now, he's not telling them or us to be obnoxious about the gospel. We always share the truth, and we share it in love. And he's not going to give us permission to go out and pick fights with people who don't agree with us or don't don't, uh, share our views. You know, we're always, always, always required to be gentle and patient and loving and gracious toward everyone. The very attributes of our Lord Jesus that we aspire to, that we hope to emulate. Conflict should never be the result of our personality or how we present the good news. Uh, Peter wrote that, that our witness should be so loving that a person may even be, he says, one without a word. Without a word. Have you won someone over to Jesus without a word lately? Maybe you have. You know, maybe your life has been your message. 
And others saw, and they wanted to learn more about what's given you the patience to endure this whole COVID thing with all its restrictions and limitations and inconveniences while they're just beside themselves about it. Or maybe someone saw you forgive another person for no good reason, something they couldn't imagine themselves doing. I mean, they weren't sorry, obviously. They never offered to make amends to you, and yet you forgave them anyway. Why? because it was the right thing to do. It was what Jesus would have done. Or maybe because you figured out by now that not forgiving and letting go can eat you up from the inside out while they just go on with their lives oblivious to all the wreckage in their wake. The only legitimate cause of of conflict is the content of the message itself. We're not the sword, okay? But the message will likely act as one. In the first century uh, New Testament Jewish culture, people lived clustered together in, in large family units. If one of those people was brought to faith in Jesus, he or she would likely be ostracized by the rest of the clan, even persecuted by the temple leaders. In later years, under Roman emperors like Nero and Domitian, um, they might even be arrested and put to death. It'll happen to the men Jesus is talking to this morning, every one of them pay with his life for the faith with the exception of one. John died of extreme old age, but he was exiled on the island of Patmos. Uh, Matthias, who replaced Judas Iscariot, uh, was stoned and beheaded. Peter was crucified for his faith, upside down. Andrew died on an X-shaped cross at at Petraea, a Grecian colony. James the Younger, son of Alphaeus, was thrown down from the pinnacle of the temple, survived somehow, and was beaten to death with a club. Bartholomew was flayed alive in Armenia and then crucified for good measure. James the Elder, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded in Jerusalem. Thomas the Doubter was run through with a, a, a lance in the East Indies. Philip was crucified at Heropolis. Thaddeus was crucified. Simon died on a cross in Persia, modern day Iran. Matthew was first stoned and then beheaded all because they put Jesus first. What could cause you to desert your family and friends to die such a horrible death besides faith? They knew it was all true. They'd been with him from the beginning. They'd they'd heard him teach. They'd witnessed the miracles. They believed he was who he said he was, true God and true man. It's one of the reasons the Bible is so credible. No one would likely die a horrible death like that for a lie. What does Jesus say about it? He says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. The word cross stirred up powerful imagery in those days. A condemned man was used to usually forced to carry at least a crossbeam of, of his own cross to the place of execution. So carrying your cross was a sure sign that uh, your own death was imminent. Jesus' disciples knew, and we should realize that with such strong language, our Lord is deadly serious about this. That doesn't mean we're not supposed to like our families. The Bible says, honor your father and your mother. It says that husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her died for her. What Jesus is saying is that for all that's at stake in the big picture, the eternal picture, you better get your loyalties in order. 
The mark of a Christian disciple is one who puts Jesus first above all. Whoever finds his life will lose it, Jesus goes on, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He's making a distinction, isn't he, between the the attachments in this temporary world and, and real life in the eternal world to come. The Apostle Paul would later put it in terms of being a slave to Christ or held captive to the the words and teachings of Jesus. He's not asking us to abandon the love and care of our families. What Jesus is asking for here is that you put that same energy and care into your relationship with him as you do into the relationships with people you love most. In fact, he's asking for even more. This is the mark of a Christian disciple, one who puts Jesus first. It's easy to say, tough to do sometimes without a little little divine assistance, right? Sadly, life's hardships don't end with faith. If it did, everybody would be a Christian. In truth, it actually seems like sometimes like just the beginning of more trouble as soon as we cross over from the dark into the light of Christ because we, we now have become an enemy of the devil in our own sinful world. And sometimes we'll suffer for it. But we'll never suffer as much as Jesus suffered for us. The Son of God himself, you know, stepped down from his throne in heaven to come into our world and live as one of us in order to save us. He's taken all our sin into his innocence and taken on himself the punishment that we deserve for that sin. He endured the total judgment of God against those sins when he suffered and died for them on a cross. And then God raised him from the dead to prove not only his power over death itself, but that Jesus' sacrifice for us was sufficient. Won't remove all the bumps on our road through this life, but looking up to him when things get really rough will provide us with the strength to endure because he'll never abandon those who are his. Resolve today to follow Christ no matter what the cost may be. You know, love all the good things of this world God made for you, but love him first. Do it because of what he's already done for you. Do it because you love him. Amen. Now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.